let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Let's face it, I'm not going to stop treating myself anytime soon, and neither should you. But what I should stop doing is paying for me time with whatever random credit card is in my wallet. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times the points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? Honey, is it like a gorgeous free flight that you would have had to have paid for, but honey, you're saving that flight money? Is it a gorgeous room upgrade? Is it like a gorgeous like two-bedroom suite instead of a one-bedroom suite so your like in-laws or like your friend could stay over there in that room so you don't have to like hear them doing whatever with what they're doing in your your guys' room? Is it like really adulting? Oh, I love adulting. And you know what else I love? is not waiting to make smart financial decisions. I also love paying my credit cards off in full every month because like, yes, good credit. So let's like do try to do that and like making responsible decisions, which we love. Um, But anyway, don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. Every time you cross into a country, you have to present your travel documents, honey. We're out here doing it all the time. Maybe it's a passport or a visa. Maybe it's both. Those documents tell a story of where you're from and in some cases where you're allowed to go. But what if you wanted to rewrite that story? What if you wanted to make like Natasha Bedingfield, staring at the blank space before you enter the golden passport? Today, millionaires and billionaires around the world are buying passports. Those passports give them perks like travel access, business opportunities, and even (gasps) a way to sneak around with a second family. Ooh la la! Kristen Surik is Associate Professor of Political Sociology at the London School of Economics. She is the author of The Golden Passport, Global Mobility for Millionaires, published by Harvard University Press. Yes! Kristen, first of all, how are you? Great. <laughs> Even though the weather's miserable here in London. Oh my God, is it giving rainy? My my husband to this day, my husband's British and he always says, clear blue sky day. Like he's always so excited <laughs> if it's a clear blue sky day. <laughs> 
Kristen, do people tell you that you look like a celebrity? And if so, whom? Good question. You know what? And the problem is I'm so much of a nerd. They say, oh my God, you look like, you know, just like blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, who? And they're like, are you not watching the biggest show on TV? I'm like, Oh no, you no no no. Then you're not. Then we're not stepping. Then we're not stepping in the same thing because you are giving me Julia Roberts. You're giving me Julia Roberts. Like, and I know you know who Julia Roberts is. Do people okay. not say that you look like Julia Roberts? Okay, I actually do know who she is. Have you never gotten that? I've never gotten her. Really? But that's a really good one. Like, she's the biggest. <laughs> anyway, Kristen, let's get back to what was. But are you having a good day in London? Other than it's rainy. Yeah. Pretty good. And really great now that I'm teleported into your studio. Okay, good. I'm so excited to learn about Golden Passports. Let's get into this. First of all, how do you, like, how do you define citizenship in your work? And, like, how would one typically gain citizenship? Well, citizenship, a lot of people think about citizenship and say in terms of, like, identity and rights and those sorts of things. But really, fundamentally, it's just a legal status. Take, for example, dreamers in the U.S. You, they grew up in the U.S. their whole life. They identify as American and all of that. But because they don't have that legal status of citizenship, their situation is really precarious. You know, identity can be a part of it, but it doesn't really define it. And neither do really rights. I mean, a lot of people think about citizenship as somehow related to democracy and voting. But, you know, China, biggest country in the world, 1.4 billion people or so, none of them have the right to vote you know, in national elections for competing parties or whatever, you know, but they still have citizenship. You know, so really fundamentally what it is, is that legal status. What's citizenship by investment? And how does it differ from cash for passport exchanges and golden visas? People get these mixed up all the time. Journalists get these mixed up all the time. Other academics I'm talking to get this mixed up all the time. It's like, okay, let's have, let's have some clear definitions here. So, for me, citizenship by investment is the country says you invest a minimum of this amount in the country or you donate a minimum of this amount to the government and we give you, you know, we do some background checks and, you know, blah, 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 but you become a citizen. And in the end, then, once you're a citizen, you can apply for a passport. It's also, you know, these golden visas, which are just residents. It's a, you know, it's a stamp in a passport rather than a passport itself. You can't, you know, it's not, you can't pass it down through the family or whatever. It's just the right to reside in a country. So that's a little different. Oh, but citizenship, you can. Yeah. Citizenship is for life and your children can inherit it. Mm. These golden passport programs, citizenship by investment, you can go to these government websites and they'll say, this is what you have to do. This is what you invest. And we make you a citizen. So what is the range for citizenship by investment or golden passport? Like what's the lowest end to the highest end? Right now, Cyprus used to have a program and that was 2.5 million. But you could, you had to buy a house that was at least 500,000 and you had to keep that. But the rest of the investment, the 2 million, you could sell it after three years or five years. So the end cost is actually only about 500,000 plus all the fees or whatever. But that is the general range, like about 100,000 US to about 1 million. Is that like the main reason a country would want to grant someone a golden passport? Like to get like more rich people in their borders or is there like other reasons too? People aren't actually going to these countries really that much. Like, you know, one of the most famous cases is St. Kitts. 
think it's just a tiny little island in the Eastern Caribbean. And you, you could be like, oh, hey, beautiful, you know, small tropical island, blah, blah, blah. But there's only 55,000 people there. And you talk to people there and they're like, hey, you know, if we want to go out and do anything with our lives, we get out. <laughs> there's not much going on here. You know, so wealthy people going for this, you know, citizenship thing, they, you know, they're like, we don't want to go. We want to go to Biarritz or, you know, whatever. Why would a millionaire or billionaire in the U.S. want to get a passport to St. Kitts and then never buy a house or, like, go there or hang? Is it, like, a tax haven or something? You know, it's been kind of interesting watching the U.S. case. There's kind of, like, three types of people who go for it if they're from the U.S. In the early years, you would get U.S. citizens who lived abroad for a really long time. And either they were libertarians and didn't like the idea of paying taxes wherever they were. And U.S. citizens... You have to continue to pay taxes no matter, no matter where you are in the world. It's kind of unique in that. And so they would have to get, they would give up U.S. citizenship, but then they would have to get another citizenship in order to do that. Cause you can't like, you can't make yourself state, stateless. It's really hard. That would be one group. But what, what happened then over the years as I was watching that, you started getting these like Armageddon Americans, people who loved Trump, hated Biden or Obama, loved Biden or Obama, hated Trump and we're like, I got to get out of here. I want a plan B. And I don't know if a lot of them left. Maybe some of them did, but I think a lot of them are just feeling kind of paranoid. Like what happens when stuff hits the fan? And then what ha- And then COVID hit. And then you get more U.S. citizens going, oh my God, I've got no idea what's going on here. Love the government, hate the government. What are my exit options? And so they would also start looking for possibilities. And, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, some, a couple of handful maybe have moved to St. Kitts, but most of them, they'll, you know, they get, you get 90 days visa-free access. So you can become what's known as peripatetic. You just kind of move around the world, 90, day, 90 days visa-free access wherever you are. Okay, wait, 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 wait. So they will give up their U.S. citizenship, go to St. Kitts, get the one in St. Kitts, and then St. Kitts affords you 90-day visa-free access to, like, all like like tons of other countries basically like that's kind of the St. Kitts perk. Yeah, totally. Yep. And you can do that. So you could just go to Buenos Aires for like 3 months and then you go to Seoul for 3 months and if you're just super loaded you could just like rent a little Airbnb and you just go give like eat pray love every 3 months for the rest of your life and then when you're done with that you just go live on an island. Yeah. The world is your oyster. Wow. <laughs> you could do that on a US passport too. The main people who moved to St. Kitts were like the love the government or hate the government people. What's the exit plan? Then what? Isn't there like a third type that we didn't get to? Oh, um, the COVID people. Oh yeah, the COVID. That was the third bucket. Was COVID people? Yeah, yeah. And what COVID people? So part of it is worried about COVID, but the other thing that happened was for the first time, U.S. citizens suddenly couldn't travel wherever they wanted immediately. Like they used to have a really good passport, that, but then during COVID, like for example. You couldn't just get easy access to Europe on a U.S. passport. You had to have a residence permit for, for a particular place or whatever, which made a lot of Americans paranoid. So St. Kitts wouldn't have gotten you into Europe either, but it made a lot of people, you know, but if you had a golden visa in Portugal, then Portugal would have let you in during those early COVID days when they were otherwise shutting you out. And so that also led to a lot of U.S. citizens going, why are these doors closing in my face? Um, I'd like to keep them all open. And so they started going for like plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E, and getting a lot of residents and citizenships in other places in the world just because they're like, oh my God, like doors could slam in my place. What's up with that? Wow. So that's like, but that's like really rich people. You got to have like a 
probably like a million or half a million per residence and citizenship, right? So you got to be really like rolling in the dough to just be doing like A, B, C, D, E, right? Oh, totally. But, you know, citizenship can be as cheap as 100000 Where? Dominica. Dominica. Where's that? It's in the Caribbean. Another one of those little tiny islands. And, you know, like I think... Right now, St. Kitts, they just put up their price. It's 250000 U.S., but you can get it somewhere, you know, you know, for the whole family for about 200000 U.S. Damn, for Dominica or for... Or, or, in, or Grenada. How much is Grenada? Because that's pretty down there. I know, good question. I think it's two twenty. Grenada. Sure. you got to kind of watch them because sometimes they have sales. And, then, and you don't even have to buy a house? You can all, yeah, you can donate to the government. And just be done with it. <laughs> you know, just basically pay a fee. What's the coolest stuff that you can do? Like, what's, like, Grenada get you? Or, like, what's, like, what's Portugal get you? Or, oh, does Portugal get you, like, an EU EU access? Okay, well, let's start with Grenada. Because they also can get you some, like, really interesting things. Like, Grenada has visa-free access to the EU. So if you're a citizen of, like, you know, I don't know, Vietnam, um, probably India, you don't have visa-free access to you. You can apply for a Schengen visa and you might get that. You might get that for a year. You might not get that, blah, blah, blah. But man, it gets you in the, into the EU for 90 days. What's also super interesting, though, is it has an E2 treaty, <laughs> if you're a nerd, E2 treaty with the U.S. So say you're Chinese and you want to live in the U.S. China doesn't have an E2 treaty with the, with the U.S., but Grenada does. So you become a citizen of Grenada. And then if you invest in a business in the U.S., 200,000 or so, you can get a residence permit for the U.S. Okay, so what? But what about Portugal? How, totally, how does totally. a bitch get over? No, tell me, tell but, me, tell me everything, Kristen. Okay, so Portugal. Well, even better than Portugal is Malta. Like, if Ooh, you, if they like, have legal money, weed. How do you go to Malta? <laughs> I want to go to Malta. Is that my escape plan? Because what about me? I'm not. I'm not not a doomsdayer. Like, I live in fucking Texas. I'm scared as shit. Like, I feel like it's going down. Like, how, how does? Where should I go? Is Malta legal weed? Okay. If you if you have access to anywhere, like if it like money is not a question, I would say go for Malta. Because how much is it? It's about a million. Oh Jesus, that's a that's a little that's a little Olson money. I'm not quite there yet. Like <laughs> I don't know what to do. Like I don't think I can do a milli. That's like a lot. I know. But what do you get if you can? If you can if it's aspirational, like what do we get if we get to, into Malta? Imagine yourself a citizen of Malta. What you get is legal weed, legal weed. And even better, say legal weed in Amsterdam, because you're going to be an EU citizen. And being an EU citizen is like being a citizen of 27 countries. Oh, my God. So you can move, live, do whatever you want all over Europe. But not England. Oh, but my husband's British. So am I. I naturalized and I'm like, I naturalized right after Brexit. And it's like, oh. I know. It sucks. It sucks. So Malta is where it's at because then you become EU. And, and, but, but not because what's the deal with Portugal? Portugal's kind of interesting though, because what happens is you have to, you know, you invest in the country. They just got rid of the real estate option. You can invest in a business. I think they put the price up. It's probably close to 500 now, 500,000 now. You have to go to the country for 14 days in the first two years. And after that, for seven days, the next several years. And I think after five or six years, then you can apply to become a Portuguese citizen. So it could turn into citizenship. It's not that hard to do the residence. Like, I mean, oh, hard. Go spend a week on, you know, the Algarve Coast. Yeah. Or go oh, surfing sad. or whatever. Yeah, sad. And Navarre, yeah. But don't you have to learn to speak Portuguese and stuff? 
What about Malta? Is there like a citizenship for Malta? Do you have to like learn Maltese or something? You have to show the intent to make Malta your home. So when you apply for citizenship, you know, you invest your money, you have to rent or buy real estate, you donate to the government, and then you have to donate to some charities. You need to join some clubs and you need to do, you do need to spend a little bit of time there. Maybe if they've got legal weed, you can do it on like planet nine or whatever. And then after a year, they make you a citizen. So you have to show the intent to make it your home. But whether that is or not the case in the end is just, you know, another question they don't bother with. Oh, so then once they grant you citizenship, like you don't, you could still be based in the United States or whatever. Anywhere. Yeah. And so, and then, but then you, but then you had to pay taxes at, oh no, only Eritrea in the United States. So you could get your citizenship, but then if you're based somewhere else, then you wouldn't pay income taxes in Malta? Well, if you- Just like property or something? Yeah. If you're not a U.S. citizen, then yeah, if you live there, that's fine. If you're not a U.S. citizen, tax is based on where you are. Like if you're in any country for more than 183 days, then you pay taxes in that country. So if you were to move to like Malta- and it, like all their tax stuff is complicated and like keep some money outside and only bring some money in and blah, blah, blah. Then you could probably vote your taxes. But if you're U.S., it kind of stuck with the IRS. Darling, I was on a vacation recently and stayed at an Airbnb. And then I realized that while I was away, my empty house could be making money, honey. If you're someone like me that is busy and not home all the time, your home could be an Airbnb. And it's actually pretty simple to get started. Even if you don't have a whole house, you could start with just a spare room. Personally, I really enjoy staying at Airbnbs. I really do. I love a good Airbnb. Who is that? Come back, British you. And it really is a great way to like support local economy and support local people. So Airbnb is fabulous. And I know I was doing my British voice earlier, but We love Airbnb. So think about what you could do with some extra cash. Whether you're looking to treat yourself to something nice, like a shopping spree or a spa day, or start a whole side hustle, Airbnb can help you be that person. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're like me, the threat of fascism is weighing on you this year. But even when the F word is uttered, way too few of us are considering the full scope of the danger, let alone how to really stop it. The Refuse Fascism podcast hosted by Sam Goldman names it, dissects it, and connects in-depth analysis of what fascism is with the understanding and urgency we need to defeat it. And she is joined by great guests to discuss the threat of civil war, attacks on abortion rights and trans rights, Trump and the theocrats, Project 2025, efforts to erase history and critical thinking, and much more. Check out recent episodes featuring Kathleen Ballou, Jeff Charlotte, Sarah Posner, Wajahat Ali, Dahlia Lithwick, and many more. Subscribe to the Refuse Fascism podcast on your listening platform of choice or go to refusefascism.org slash podcast. So how have we seen countries benefit from citizenship by investment programs? Like what are their complications? What are the successes? And I'm guessing that locals might not like them, but what do locals think about these programs? In some countries, when I went to St. Kitts, like people were really proud of the program. They were like, yeah, we invented it. It's our thing. But it was like politics is really heated in that country. It was like either they were like really pro the party in power and hated the opposition or really pro the opposition party hated you know, hated the party in power. So be like, yeah, 
you know, the previous government was, you know, that ran the program into the ground. They were so corrupt. The present government's great or the other round, blah, blah, blah. That was St. Kitts. It was really interesting. But then I went, I went to Montenegro where like everybody I talked to, the first word out of their mouth was, I was like, yeah, so what do you think of citizenship by investment? They would say, oh my God, the government's so corrupt. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> you know, that was the first thing out of their mouth. And then I went to Vanuatu. Like, have you ever heard of Vanuatu? Yeah, I have. But where is that? Is that in like the Samoan Islands? Yeah, yeah. It's near there. It's in the Pacific. Like, I had never heard of Vanuatu until I started studying this stuff. And then I had the opportunity to go to Vanuatu. And when I went there and I asked locals about it, they were all, first of all, they all thought I was Australian because that's like, you know, whatever, where white Westerners come from if they're going to Vanuatu. And they would, and they would say, um, you know, I'd be like, so what do you think of citizenship by investment? Like, we're selling citizenship. Who wants our citizenship? We all want to get out of here. How do I get citizenship in Australia? Get me out of here. Marry me. I want to get out. You know, so it, it would be a range in terms of what locals thought about this. What about like Canada, Australia, New Zealand? Like, does Australia do this? It's mega expensive. I can't remember. It's something like 2 million or 5 million or so. If it's one of those things where you just park your money in the country and you get residence. If you, if you go there and say you're going to build a company, and if you're wealthy enough, you just pay somebody to build your company for you and don't bother with it. Then I think the price might come down a little bit. But yeah, you can totally get business investor stuff for Australia, for New Zealand, Canada. If you build a business, they'll give you a residence permit. Canada, though, used to have like the biggest like golden visa where you just bought real estate. I you know, was traveling around the world, going to like Hong Kong and Dubai and you, you know, whatever, even, you know, Moscow or whatever before the invasion, um, London. And if I, I'll, and I would like try to find people who knew the scene and been in, there for a long time. And when I, I would discover them, it was like they were all Canadians. And not only were they all Canadians, they were all from Montreal. And I was like, what? What is going on here? It's because so Canada had this, you know, golden visa program that was really huge, you know, in the 1990s because of Hong Kong. Everybody in Hong Kong was like, oh, my God, we're going back to China. And so um, so they all started going in, into the Canadian program. A lot of these. But because Quebec has its own kind of like situation, because otherwise it would try to break away, um, it could process applications faster. So like everybody would apply for it through Quebec. So they learned how to do that and they learned how to make money off of that. And then they went to all these different global hubs and sort of like spread the trade. So there's like, yeah, Canada's weirdly kind of important in that. But then they got rid of it, didn't they? Or do they still do that? No, they got rid of it. Quebec kept, so the federal government got rid of it, I think about 2012, but Quebec kept it because Quebec has its own little carve out. And now Quebec has it on the ice, on ice. Like it's probably not going to reopen it just because, no, Canada's a big country. They don't need something like this. This is a big numbers. It's not, yeah. not significant for them. And then um, how did Trump's like 2017 immigration ban affect Golden Passports? And did, like, what's the status of them now? Well, it's kind of interesting. What's kind of mind-blowing when you think about the role of the U.S. in all this. Like, if you think about citizenship, yeah. Shouldn't the country have the right to decide who gets to become a citizen or not? Isn't that, like, definitive of, like, sovereignty and what a state can do? Well, what's kind of nuts in this case is that the U.S. is like the big puppet master behind the scenes in a lot of cases, you know, where it's really kind of watching what's going on. It's got a lot of levers that it can use to pressure countries in terms of what they're doing. And so, like, the U.S. can take its own border control policy and impose it on other countries' citizenship policies. So, like, when in 2017, when Trump did the the quote-unquote Muslim ban, um, 
basically the Caribbean countries, most of, you know, to a large part, as well as Malta, fell in line, and they started banning people from those countries as well for applying for citizenship. So the U.S. exclusionary travel policy began to define the citizenship policies of these other places. But then didn't, like, the Supreme Court, or, like, wasn't the travel ban unconstitutional, but then they got it ruled constitutional by, like, adding a few other countries or something? And then what? how did that end up? Like, did, did Biden get rid of that? And now there's, like, no travel ban in place? Like, everyone's back in for golden passports? Well, with the countries doing golden passport stuff, they still listen to the U.S. So, yeah, Trump got rid of the the... the or tried to, became complicated, added other countries, whatever. It's not Muslim. It's been diluted because we included, you know, whatever, North Korea. Um, and, and But in the end, there's still a number of countries on different ban lists. What's interesting is, like, countries that are concerned about this as a big revenue maker try to keep powerful countries, you know, kind of, like, happy to some degree. But countries that aren't do it anyways. So depending on what their relationship is, depends on their, their travel ban list. So like Turkey will naturalize Russians. Um, you, you know, and part of that, and Turkey, I, I think Turkey still naturalizes Iranians, whereas a lot of other countries have stopped. And part of that is because Turkey's, you know, like, it's kind of interesting because Turkey is, is the number one seller of citizenship these days. It does about half the global approvals. It's kind of mind blowing. Turkey's also the number one host of refugees on the planet. So right now it's, it's, you know, providing refuge for about three to four million Syrians. And why is it doing that? Because the EU paid Turkey six billion euros to do it. And so, you know, Turkey's like, we're going to naturalize whomever we want because you know what? Don't tell us what to do because otherwise we're opening up the gates and we've got three to four million Syrians who might want to go into Europe. Um, and so they play like a, you know, so there's like this really complicated geopolitical stuff going on behind the scenes in terms of what happens. So how does someone go to like the UAE and then what's their program? Like, is that like a million and then you get citizenship? Oh, so the UAE just opened um, a residence by investment program, but you're not going to get citizenship. What happens though? So you get people who live there, they're living there, but their citizenship still matters because either they can't travel in the region or banks won't bank them. Right. So, you know, I was talking to this Iranian businesswoman whose family moved there when she was three years old. You know, the, the UAE is the only country she knows, but the country is never going to naturalize her. And she can't get loans from the bank because the only citizenship she has is for this country she's got no connection to, but the U.S. has sanctions against. And so she was looking at citizenship by investment so that she can simply get a loan from a bank. What's the difference between naturalization and citizenship? So 99% of the world has citizenship, and most people are just born into it. Naturalization means you become a citizen after birth. So when you say that the UAE was never going to naturalize her unless she did citizenship by investment, is that? No. No. They're never, ever going to. So imagine this. She moved to this country when she was three years old. She's been for there for the past 40-something years or so. So what the fuck's she going to do? Yeah. And so, and on top of, you know, this is her home. She's got a residence permit. It's no problem being there. But the problem is that banks won't touch people with Iranian passports. So what's she going to do? How's she going to get rid of her Iranian one and get a different one? She buys it in Dominica. Because they would still, so very few countries would naturalize Iranians because of U.S. sanctions. But Dominica still would. 
So I was talking to her and she realized that was her only option. She could buy citizenship in Dominica. And then you said she goes to the bank. It still says place of birth. It still says Tehran or wherever yeah. she was born. You know, but the bank would say, okay, great. Now we can comply with U.S. Yeah. Well, at least that's nice. She has like a, new, a way to get it together. So that yay for her. Thanks, Dominica. Hey, it's Jonathan Van Ness. Americans United for Separation of Church and State defends your freedom to live as yourself and believe as you choose, so long as you don't harm others. Core freedoms like abortion rights, marriage equality, public education, and even American democracy itself rest upon the wall of separation between church and state. Christian nationalists are attacking these freedoms, seeking to force us all to live by their narrow beliefs. Americans United is fighting back. Freedom without favor and equality without exception. Learn more about AU at au.org slash curious. They always say trust your gut. But one time, my gut told me to bleach my eyebrows. And that was fashionable, but not widely well-received. While probiotics can't help you with most of your gut decisions, it can give your gut a little bit of support. And Ritual has your back. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Did you know daily disturbances like poor diets, stress, travel, the use of certain medications, and plenty of other factors can throw off your gut microbiome? Oh, no! Enter Ritual. Their Symbiotic Plus has been a gorgeous tool. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide, your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash curious. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash curious for 25% off. In 2020, Al Jazeera released the Cyprus Papers. It was giving ProPublica, it was giving Story of the Century, honey, and, and also like Panama Papers or something. Was that the same thing or just like the same era? What was the deal with that golden passport corruption scandal in the, in the Cyprus Papers? Oh, yeah. That's an amazing. If you haven't watched that video, it's such an amazing video to watch. So basically, a bunch of Al Jazeera reporters went undercover and had like secret hidden cameras. And they were going through, they were pretending to represent um, like a Chinese business person with a criminal record. And, you know, they're talking to him. They, they would be like, how do we get this person through? They're like, can they get the money in Europe? Then you're fine. And in the end, like the last scene, they're having lunch at the house of the speaker of like the House of Representatives, like the top person in their Senate kind of thing. And the guy, and they're like, yeah, you know, can we get this guy? And he's like, yeah, no problem. You just invest two. No, rather than 2.5 million, invest 20 million in my friend's real estate project, and you're fine. You know, so basically, and what kind, was that in Cyprus? In Cyprus, yeah. And so basically, mm. they exposed sort of a dual track system. Like you could go through all the hurdles and all the loops, you know, whatever, with the hoops, with all the bureaucrats and whatever the background checks, or pay a little bit more and get VIP access straight to the top. Um, without all that, where they wouldn't bother with the criminal record or other sorts of dodgy things. So, for example, like the biggest, one of the biggest scams ever, one MDB, when like this guy, Joe Lowe, stole several billion from the Malaysian state 
he became a citizen of Cyprus just as the story was breaking. But to make sure that his his little application got through, he also donated to the Archbishop of the Autocephalous Church, who are a little letter saying, you know, he's really great. Since then, the Archbishop has given the money back and retracted that because it turned out he's this major wanted international criminal. And that can be an issue for these programs, too, um, that they don't do the right background checks, that people kind of pay a little bit extra on the side and they get, you know, somebody through who's not supposed to be doing getting through, um, etc. And so Cyprus, at the end of that, had to shut down their program. And for a while, people are like, yeah, we're going to relaunch it as soon as they can, but they still haven't relaunched it. And that government investigation is still going on. Oh, about that Cyprus-Malaysian situation? Yeah, and just corruption. What were some of the other scandals? Like people like maintaining second families, like, or like, I we read a little bit of like about husbands putting applications in their wives' names. Like what were some of the other, like the tea that came out from the Cyprus papers? <laughs> What's the juicy stuff? Yeah. So I think, so, or even not just that, like in the interviews I would, I would do with people as well. Um, you know, one of the big things about the, these, these programs is, are they doing good background checks? Like, you know, if you, are, are you, are you just kind of selling citizenship to, you know, people who are looking for a better mobility or whatever? Are you selling citizenship to criminals who are looking to escape the law, for example? And so that's why you want to have pretty good background checks. And those can be really complicated to do as well. Um, you know, so for example, you've got a person who's got like kind of complicated situation for whatever reason and maybe, you know, whatever legal stuff playing in the gray, who knows? Depending on the country, you might be able to put, say, your wife as the main applicant on the passport. It's your wife, you know, in many cases, that's just kind of the setup. It's usually wife. Um, and then all the background checks are done on her, but not the husband, as it is in many cases. And then this guy who's been like doing a lot of shady stuff still gets through based on the wife. And that can happen. Or it can be, you know, little things like say, um, you're dealing with an inheritance situation with, um, say, uh, a child that you had with a lover in another place and you don't want like your spouse to know about this, blah, blah, blah. You know, people can kind of game systems with with passports. Sometimes it'll be like, you know, some guy was based in Hong Kong. And this was before 2000. He had a lover in mainland China. It was really hard for her to travel. So he bought her a passport for another country so that she could come and visit him in Hong Kong. Um, kind of on the slide. What has this highlighted for you, for you? What are some of the takeaways from these programs that, that you've that you've taken away and and have you transposed them onto any other areas that you're like, oh, this is like particularly unfair or something. Yeah, it's really complicated. Like, because that inequality question, it's just, I think it's a really interesting place to look at how, just how complicated those questions of inequality are. So, you know, like at the most superficial level, oh yeah, it just looks like the rich who are going, you know, who are paying to play and they can get in, they have a separate VIP track and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the reality is that, you know, they're not crowding out. Number one, they don't crowd out other migrants. You know, the number one seller of citizenship is the number one host of refugees in, in the first place. Immigration policy is usually like all over the place and completely incoherent. But it usually is selective, like countries select who gets to get in. And usually that's a question of your ancestry or your family. You know, it could be marriage or it's a question of your money. Like, have you changed your money into some sort of skill set that we kind of want? And so countries always screen in some sort of way, which kind of means that, you know, it's never like the people who are really screwed globally 
you get the chance to move. They're the ones who are, you, you know, because countries only allow like visa-free access to other countries that are kind of like them and also kind of rich, especially if they're rich countries, if they're also rich, you know, so that level is kind of complicated, but, you know, but so you get this difference, you know, in, but, you know, of course, these are people who are successful. They're not the worst off in their countries, you know, so there's a lot of inequalities within the countries, but there's a lot of inequalities between countries in terms of, you know, citizenships. And then you get the inequalities between like these little tiny microstates and big countries like the U.S. You tell them you can naturalize and you can't naturalize and all that. You know, so I think it's one of those things in looking at, you know, we talk a lot about like globalization and global flows and all of that, but it really highlights the extent to which those borders between countries still matter and not and how people find ways of trying to work around those borders or how people find ways of making money off of those borders. Um, because this, you know, the sale of citizenship can be, you know, worth a lot of money too. And so it's, it's one of those things that really kind of highlights borders still matter and things like you know citizenship isn't always just about identity you know in this case it's just about getting the legal rights of the state it doesn't really affect people's identity at, at all and kind of think about how those become two different things um as well so it's sort of you know i think also it's one of those things where it's useful if you have a really good passport you know like your listeners a lot of them are going to be you know u.s citizens it's kind of like check your passport privilege, because if you've got a really good passport in a pretty safe country, you know, you're pretty lucky and you didn't do anything to get that other than to be born in that place, which had nothing to do with you. You know, so but if you didn't have that sort of fortune, then you might be looking for alternatives and be more strategic about it. So it's one of those things. It's like check your passport privilege and kind of you got a good one. Be grateful. What do you think is next for the golden passport economy? Like, do you think uh, more countries will start to offer them? And also, I mean, I live in Texas. I am fearful about what would happen if Trump wins this next election. And um, do you think that, like, CBI could be an option for LGBTQI plus people facing discrimination? But, I mean, obviously the caveat on that is, like, rich ones, which yeah. kind of pisses me off. Like, I hate that, like, it's just not more accessible to more people. yeah whether they're queer or not in any way. I just wish that migration was, I wish that borders didn't matter so much. And I wish that we could help people easier. But, but as I just said, like, could, could LGBT or could, how could CBI be an option for LGBTQI plus people facing discrimination? Unfortunately for wealthy LGBT, LGBTQIA people, it's not necessarily a silver bullet. Cause I think, you know, in general, cause a lot of this stuff, like people aren't actually moving to these countries. You know, they want those ben the rights that the that citizenship gets you outside of the country. Travel access, future possibilities, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and I think in general, like LGBTQIA questions, those really deal with like kind of where people are, like what city you're in. What's that local environment? How tolerant is that? And, you know, so it's not even like a country level question the country level part can be important especially like rights you know around marriage and marriage stuff like that. recognition kids yeah. yeah but i think in terms of quality of life it's much more that local level which kind of shows how you know the ways in which citizenship doesn't necessarily matter um you know it's really about that local community and then one place that we didn't talk about that you know every time i go to the united kingdom with my husband like they have a huge foreign like national community like in the united kingdom like what's their cbi program 
And like they have like that whole money laundering thing. Like they're they're going through all sorts of shit. Oh yeah. So they used to have a golden visa program. So just residents, you it needed to invest two million pounds. So it wasn't cheap, and you had to spend at least 180 days in the country every year. Um, but they got rid of that about a year ago, um, in part because you know it was it was pretty small. There there were concerns about Russians coming through the program and. Etc. Etc. So they they no longer um, have that sort of thing, but they did it for a really long time. Small numbers, a couple hundred people did it um, per year, a couple hundred applications, but yeah, not massive. So my only way to get in there is with my husband now, right? Yeah. Well, you've got an option. You've got a husband, but you would have to. Yeah, you'd have to move here and spend time here. I think I think they've got a speedier option for spouses. Thank like you'd God. have to live in the UK for like two or three years. And then you can get a, a British passport. But Brexit! But then can I be dual citizen? You can be dual citizen, but unfortunately, because of Brexit, you're not going to become an EU citizen. Right, right, right. Just British. Um, but then, you know, we could do Malta. Um, okay. So how do we stay in the loop about Golden Passports? Like, and also, like, what's next for you and your work? Like, do you keep your followers up on the Golden Passport haps? Like, are you on the Twitter? Are you on the Instagram? Where can people follow you? Like, what Like, what are you doing next? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter and, um, let's see, like, LinkedIn. And I need to get, like, a decent website because I'm, you know, I don't know. I usually don't think about that stuff. You're a published author. Yeah, I need to be media. You should get on the TikTok so that you can keep people up to date about Golden Passwords. I think there's like a really niche audience there for that. I think you should get into it. And do and do little videos and stuff. Yeah, because... Yeah, and like explaining it, kind of what we've been talking about. And then every time like a news story comes out, you could use that green screen feature and use the news story and then explain like what that news story is saying. Okay, that's so good. I need to start doing this stuff. There's this PR crisis lady on TikTok who's always like talking about like everybody's PR crises and like what she thinks that they should do. Um, But you could do that for like Golden Passports and just like, yeah, all of these programs. It'd be interest. You know what my next project is? Is? Digital nomads. Because. I'd follow it. I know. If you have a research project like mine on gold, you know, whatever golden passports, it means that you can basically travel to, you know, 20 or 30 countries and call it research. But with digital nomad visas, it's you can travel to something like 50 or 60 countries and Ooh, call it research. Bali. And so, yeah, Bali, Estonia, I know, which I think is going to be fun. Like I haven't been to Estonia before. Mauritius, um, Costa Rica. So yeah, so next up, digital nomads. Is that good because you could like, basically, if it like, if you even just like lower cost of living, like if you could just like, be like, you know what, this apartment's fucking expensive. It's expensive as shit here. Like I'm going to go to Costa Rica and rent something, just like do something cheaper for like three months at a time and do that, just like save up money almost. Like if you did that at a few different countries. Totally. And, but what's interesting too, is that countries are trying to compete too. It's like, they want you. And so they get these digital nomad visas. You know, it's like, come here for a bit. And then we let you go again. And so, and then people are looking at countries too going, where do I want to go? I'll go there for a bit. And then I go again. So you get like this world of global mobility. It's no longer a world of like people in countries or no longer a world of immigration, like country A to country B. But you get people in countries kind of competing for each other for short periods of time and then like going away again. You know, 2028. LA, Los Angeles Olympics. Maybe they're adding pickleball onto the menu. Maybe I'm, there's no way I could qualify for gymnastics. I already know that. Like I just, I don't, I'm not going to get the minimum scores, but I feel like potentially table tennis, maybe pickleball. I don't know about speed walking. I, I think I, 
like sitting down too much for, but let's say I wanted to improve my Olympic odds. Like, where could I start the process? Like, so is, is it Dominica could be like, if I got citizenship in Dominica, could I represent them in the Olympics? Could I, could, could you break me off with some, some St. Kitts? Am I going to be on the St. Kitts Olympic team? Oh, totally. I mean, I think there was even a couple that maybe was U.S. citizens who bought citizenship in order to go to the Olympics. They were like, we'll self-fund our Olympics. We'll just be your your entrance to, you know, whatever. So, gymnastics and but gym, gymnastics. But the thing, the thing that, like, gymnastics and, and figure skating that kind of safeguards those sports from getting some, like, shitty-ass oh, competitor. Yeah, and you got to, like, have minimum scores. Like, I mean, I'm going to have to skate, like, a minimum 65 or something in... I don't have any of my triples. That just ain't going to fucking happen <laughs> in, in figure skating. And in gymnastics, I mean, I just, I'd have to do, because of their sexist asses, I'd have to do the men's sport. So, like, I can't fucking oh. do pommel horse or still rings. Like, And oh if I was God. a floor specialist, yeah. like, I'm not going to get the minimum entry scores for floor. I really think it's going to have to be archery, pickleball, table tennis. I, I think okay. if I really fucking trained and really worked my ass off, maybe, just fucking maybe, Maybe I could. I think if there's no pre-qualifications, if you are that country's representative, and you can even- How dare you, Kristen? I could do it in fucking table tennis or pickleball. Like, I, you haven't seen me. I get very committed. No, okay. I think even if there was a qualification, those are the- And archery, come on. I can fucking do archery. Gina Davis made the Olympics or t- t- trials in archery. Like, I can fucking do this. Like- God damn it, Kristen, have a little faith in me. <laughs> I can do it. So where do I? So so my most my most affordable okay. options is the Dominica side. Um, could I bring all my cats and dogs to train? Well, a lot of people train outside their countries anyway. Totally. Um, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on Getting Curious and for teaching us so much about all of this. I love your work. I adore you. Um, but I had so much fun learning about this and so much fun meeting you. And thank you so much for sharing your work with us. And you guys... Get into it. The Golden Passport, Global Mobility for Millionaires is published by Harvard University Press. It's available now. Yep. Get into it, you guys. Buy it. Get get into it. Uh, read it all. Thank you so much, Kristen, for coming on. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Ah! <laughs> You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. You can learn more about this week's guest and their area of expertise in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. You can follow us on Instagram at JBN. And can I just say, our social work has been so good. We are just slaying over there. So give us that follow. You can catch us on here every Wednesday and make sure to tune in every Monday for alternating episodes of Curious Now and Pretty Curious. Still can't get enough, honey? Either can I. You can subscribe to Extra Curious on Apple Podcasts for commercial-free listening and our subscription-only show, Ask JVN, where we're talking sex, relationships, and so much more. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. Our engineer is Nathaniel McClure. Getting Curious is produced by me, Chris McClure, and Allison Weiss, with production support from Julie Carrillo, Ann Curry, and Chad Hall. Didn't Tina Turner, like, she expatriated to Sweden in, like, 1998. I remember it was, like, the year of Michelle Silver Medal in Nagano. <laughs> okay, wait, stand by. So Tina did renounce her U.S. citizenship, uh, Queen Miss Turner. She did renounce it in 2013. In 2013, she did. But she moved to Switzerland in, like, 98 or whatever. Yep, exactly. So basically, Tina Turner, when she became Swiss and renounced U.S. citizenship, got treated then by the U.S. government like any other Swiss citizen. You know, so she would have to apply for a visa. 
And you can probably get a 10 year multi entry visa pretty easily that way. And that's, you know, that could be enough. I mean, I think she, she was like in Zurich on the lake and like loving it. 